This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You know, receiving gifts, giving gifts can be really complicated. You got to buy them, you got to shop for them, you got to find out what somebody likes, they got to find out what you like, you got to make sure sort of the equation is, is, is even, like what they've given you is equal to what you're going to give them, and, and you got to wrap them, and you got to get them, and it, it can be kind of stressful. And maybe you're sitting here and going, I haven't even finished my Christmas shopping yet, you know, so I'm in big trouble. Yes, you are, but just stay for the rest of the service. But I'll tell you one thing that I probably know about you and presents is that you like getting them. Who doesn't? When you're a kid, you like getting presents. When you're an adult, you like getting presents. You never get too old to like getting presents. You know, in the last decade, I've had the opportunity to travel to Nigeria, Cambodia, Singapore, Brazil, Mexico, Papua New Guinea, and every place I go to, every person I meet has something in common. They love giving and receiving gifts. I went to Papua New Guinea to visit my son, and a woman named Sarah, who's a friend of theirs, made me this beautiful, traditional Belem bag, and with a hat to go with it, with traditional Papua New Guinea colors. I won't put it on, but you get the point. And just to see the face of delight in that woman named Sarah to give me the gift was even better than the gift itself. Where does this come from, this delight in giving and receiving gifts? Well, according to the story of the Bible, it comes from the fact that human beings are made in the image of God, and part of being made in the image of God is that God loves to give. God is the supreme giver. Most people know one of the most famous verses in the Bible, which doesn't really summarize the entire Bible, but it's, it's a pretty good start. John 3:16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Those two words, God gave, are two of the most important words in understanding the whole big story of the entire Bible. I want to point you to another verse, and we're going to spend a little time in this passage, so if you have your Bible at home or if you want to grab a Bible in front of you and follow along, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to touch on it, is John chapter 1, which is this great passage of sort of the 30,000, 50,000-foot view of the Christmas story, the big story behind what you saw taking place up here during our gospel reading. And verse 12 in John chapter 1 says, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There are those two words again. He gave. God gave. Maybe somewhere in your experience, you've gotten the idea that religion, that Christianity, that the Bible, that the church is first and foremost about what we give to God. Give God your worship. Give God your obedience. Give God your attention. Give the church your service. Now, those things are really important, and those come eventually. But if you put all those things first, you're going to start to think and feel in your heart 
that it's all about God being really empty and insecure, and we have to give to him because he's kind of needy. That is not the story of the Bible at all. And maybe you were raised that way. Maybe you lived that way. That maybe no matter what you believe in your head, in your heart, you're like, I I always got to do more. I'm never doing enough. I'm never smart enough. I'm never doing enough. I'm never good enough. I never achieve enough. I'm never successful enough. I never have enough money. I never have enough friends. Whatever. But it's never enough. What happens when you live this way? This sort of trying to give first rather than receive first. Trying to be enough first rather than receiving the gift that God wants. Well, if you think you're good enough, you will live with a great deal of superiority towards other people. You will look down on other people. You will see that you are good enough, that you've achieved enough, but other people, not in your group or not part of your life, don't give enough. And so you'll be what the Bible calls proud in a bad pride kind of way. And on the other hand, if you think you're not doing enough, you're always on that treadmill. You're always trying to do the next thing that will be like, okay, I finally arrived. I finally made it. And you will be not necessarily proud, but just tired, exhausted. It's never enough. Look at verse 16 in John chapter 1. It says this, this beautiful verse. It says, from his fullness, from the fullness of Jesus, from the fullness of the living God, we have all received grace upon grace. This verse is saying that God's not empty. God doesn't have an emptiness that you need to fill. God has a fullness that he wants to give, that he wants to display to us. In Jesus, we find a God of fullness. In Jesus, we find not just a majestic, powerful, but ultimately lonely and needy God sitting on his throne saying, give, give to me, give to me. I need you to give to me. Instead, in Jesus, in this gospel story, we find a God who is full, who is glad and supremely happy and full within himself. Christians call this God the Trinity, a community of love and giving and receiving and bowing and dancing and exchanging with incredible joy. And out of that overflow of giving and receiving, God created a world. And out of that, he seeks to redeem us. That's the story of the gospel. And and notice that verse in verse 16, the end of it, it says, grace upon grace. What is grace? Grace is what you don't deserve. It's something you cannot earn. It's something you can never be enough. Because it's it's a gift. It's a free gift. And it's given to you freely. And and notice it says, not just a little bit of grace, but grace upon grace. It's like the waves of the ocean crashing onto the shores of your life. They just keep coming. And then there's the next one. And then there's the next one. And then there's the next one. 
That's the God of grace. My son, Matt, he told me that in, in Papua New Guinea, when they translated the Bible from the original languages into Tokpisin, which is the trade language of Papua New Guinea, it, and you translate it back into English, it sounds like this, verse 16. Grace completely fills Jesus, and by his grace, he repeatedly, over and over, does good to you and me and everyone. I love that. What a great translation. So where do we find this grace? How do we get it? How do we get access to it? Well, notice it's, it's not found in a philosophy. It's not found in even an ethical system. It's found first and foremost in a person. Verse 14, and the Word, that's Jesus, in the context of John chapter 1, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word, the living God, this triune God, the Son of God, became flesh. That's this. That's this, it's skin and bones and a face. So when you see the face of Jesus, you see the face of God. There is no God behind Jesus. When you see Jesus in the Gospels, when you're reading him, you're seeing the triune God. You're seeing him. And this God became not only ordinary, but vulnerable, woundable, pierceable, crushable. You will not find another view of life, another way, another path, another religion, another philosophy in which God becomes pierceable. I was in a tiny church in Jos, Nigeria a few years ago. This was a church for the poorest of the poor. The church building itself was a rickety, rusty, tin roof on stilts, no doors, no windows, no walls. The members of the church were all men because they were the people that worked at the auto junkyard in town. These were the guys that repaired the cars of really poor people. So these were the poorest of the poor. And they stood there in their church, no shoes. They all had flip-flops. I mean, the cheapest of flip-flops. Their feet were covered with dust and mud and sand. And they stood around in a circle. And they worshiped. And they sang. And then it was my turn to preach. So I preached on this verse, John chapter 1, verse 14. And I, I didn't have this plan, but I just... I, I, knelt, I knelt down on my knees, and I, and I got in the dirt, the sand, and I, and I picked it up, and I let it flow through both of my hands. And then I said, the God that we know in Jesus walked on dirt. He walked on dirt with sandals. His feet were dirty. He became a poor working man. He became woundable for our sins. He became one of us. And they all looked at each other like, ah. And one of the guys said, I want to know this God. Tell us more about this God. 
You see, it was not enough for God to give us creation, to give us blue whales and bald eagles and Granny Smith apples and dark roast coffee and newborn red baby cheeks. That was not enough. It was not enough to, for God to give men and women made in his image gifts of creativity and artistry and ingenuity and entrepreneurship and scientific discovery. That was not enough. It was not enough for God to give us laws and commandments and wisdom and a path through life. God said, I will become flesh. I will become woundable for their sins. That is the Christmas story. And even that was not enough. Because that's a historical event that changes everything. But even that was not enough. God said, I want to draw these people to me. So verse 12 again, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I want to adopt them. I want to bring them as sons and daughters, not just creatures, not just people who do things for me. I want to, not just servants even, I want to bring them into my life. This Trinitarian life of giving and receiving and loving and delighting, I want to bring them into that as sons and daughters. Now, who gets this? Who gets this life? Look at verse 12 again. But to all who did receive him, verse 16, from his fullness we have all received. In other words, Anybody can get in on this. This was revolutionary news in Jesus' day. I mean, if you were really smart, you could be saved through philosophy. If you were really moral or religious, you could be saved through religion. If you were really privileged, you could be saved through your family connections, your racial connections. But the gospel says from the very beginning that anyone who believes, all who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It is the, like driving a stake into the heart of elitism and racism and superiority. And who gets this? Well, notice it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. People who say, I receive the gift. I know you're offering it to me. I receive it. I take it. In a way, it's really that simple. But in a way, it's really not simple. Because you say, well, that's too easy. Then I can just take the gift and I can just go live any way I want. Well, I think if you've really taken the gift, you really understand it, you won't do that. See, here's the thing with some gifts. Some gifts have this inherent 
responsibility to it. This sort of, it's free, but it draws something out of you. It exposes a need, a need for transformation. Let's say, for instance, that youth and college pastor Will gave me this gift, and inside this gift there's a book. And the book is called, titled in big letters, How to Lose Your Middle-Aged Gut in 30 Days. And I look at that book and go, huh, you know, I think Will thinks there's some kind of need in me here. And knowing Will, because he's always nice and kind to me, I know he has his best, my best interest in mind, but I see I need to change. I need to be transformed. I see a need in my life, and this gift has exposed that, and it's inviting me into a life of transformation. So the gospel is that kind of gift. It's the kind of gift that's free. It's grace. But it also exposes our need. Look again at this passage, verse 13, because it says this. It says, to all he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, you can't do this. There is a debt that you cannot pay. There is a chasm in your relationship with God that you cannot cross. There is a mountain that you cannot climb. And the gospel is, God says, I'm going to expose that need, but then I'm going to provide myself the solution to that need. That's the whole story of Jesus' life, his birth, his life on earth, his miracles, his teaching, his death for our sins, his resurrection. He is paying that debt. He is crossing that chasm. He is building a bridge for us to cross that chasm. So yeah, the gospel comes and we swallow our pride. A big gulp of pride goes down. But that's the way to freedom. You know, Bible's, the Bible is a really strange book because Christians believe it's like, it's alive. And like God is speaking through it. Now, that's the claim. You might believe that, you might not, but that's, that's what the church has always taught. So God is like still alive and he's still speaking, and he's still reaching out. He's like reaching out to us. Here, here's the gift. It's like, you can't buy this. You can't pay for this. This is the gift that your heart has always and always will really long for, and I'm giving it to you. What will you do with that gift? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight on this night of your birth. We remember just this, this scene with the straw, with the manger. Remember, Lord, how tender it is, but also that this scene led to your life, your life of walking with the poor, your life of walking with outcasts, your life of befriending sinners, and your death on the cross, and your resurrection. It led to all of that. So, Lord Jesus, tonight, Lord, if there's anybody, and, and I'll just, I'll speak to you now, people of God, or friends, visitors, somebody on the live stream, 
if you and your heart, it's like maybe a little light went on, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. I think I get it now. Or I think I, I'm starting to get it. Let me just ask you to, to just join me in praying this very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I see my need. Lord Jesus, I see that you are the one that has bridged that chasm, paid that debt, and you are offering that, my, that gift. Lord Jesus, to the best of my ability with what I know and who I am, I open my heart and receive that gift. I allow you to change me, to transform me, to lead me. Thank you for this Christmas Eve, Lord Jesus. We bring you our lives. We bring you the rest of this service. In your name we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.